This is episode number three of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast. This is going to be a great episode because on the line with me, I'm going to be joined by Simon and Raymond, both of whom are good friends of mine, uh, not only because they are developers, uh, but because they are uh, advocates of technology, just like myself. Uh, In particular, we're going to be talking about what kind of tools are available to make us more productive when developing applications? And these can be any kind of applications. They could be mobile applications. They could be games. Uh, they could be whatever. It's just from the perspective of fellow developers, what we're using to develop with uh, or what we're using to ensure the success throughout the total uh, application lifecycle. Because this particular podcast episode is longer than the others that I've recorded, I'm not going to answer any questions regarding the previous episode. Instead, we're going to go straight into the content where we're going to learn a lot about what Simon and Raymond have to offer in terms of uh, software that they're using. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey, uh, with me today, I have uh, two guys, two developers that I follow. They're both bloggers, and they also work for tech companies. I have on the phone right now, I have Raymond Camden. He is a developer advocate at IBM. Uh, and I also have Simon Riemler. Is that how, it's, how I say it, Simon? Uh, I'm not sure. It's Reimler, I think. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Reimler. Uh, and he is a front-end mobile developer at an international service provider. Uh, so uh, they run two successful blogs, both of which that I follow. Uh, Simon runs DevDactic. And Raymond runs RaymondCamden.com. And they both post a lot of useful material on there. Simon, for one, has a course as well called Ionic by Doing, which is a hybrid mobile developer framework. And Raymond Camden uh, has a book out called Apache Cordova in Action. And it's, and it's a really great book. Both of, them, both of these products can be found on their website. Um, and I definitely recommend if you're interested in those two subjects that you go check them out. The topic of this podcast is going to be more about what kind of developer technologies do we use uh, when we're in the field, Uh, because uh, we're not just bloggers, we are developers, and we want to make sure uh, that we're using the latest and greatest and what's best to be more most efficient in our development journeys. Uh, But before I go on that, uh, I just want to go ahead and have each of these two guys uh, tell a a little bit about themselves. I'll go ahead and start with Simon. Uh, Simon, can you just talk a little bit about uh, what you do uh, daily at your job, maybe, or just development in general? Yeah, sure. So again, hi, I'm Simon. I work as a software developer, mobile uh, applications and front end most of the time, but well, also a bit back end. So this is like full stack for me. Most of the time I work on iOS apps, so I do native development, but in my free time I like to develop hybrid apps, so I'm really into JavaScript, Ionic, Cordova, and all these kinds of things. And yeah, as you said, I'm working on courses, mobile apps, blogging, and teaching those things. So in general, 
my concern is most of the time about mobile applications and yeah that's what i do so you, you can probably tell that simon has an accent he's actually in germany uh, yeah <laughs> and ray ray is over in uh louisiana if i'm correct uh, in the united states right ray uh, that's right but i I'm, I'm not from here so i have no accent no accent <laughs> Yeah, from St. Louis, which is like dead center middle. So as far as I know, I have no accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, can you go ahead and give uh, me a little bit of background about yourself, Ray, and what you like to do? Sure. Um, I am. am uh, I'm. I'm very old. First off, <laughs> I've been doing web development since '94 or so, and I spent uh, uh, probably a good ten plus years focused on server side web apps. Uh, primarily in ColdFusion, which is a proprietary commercial server-side language uh, owned by Adobe. Uh, there's some open-source versions as well. But uh, about five or so years ago, I got back into client-side dev and got really excited about it. Uh, I had avoided client-side dev for a long time because it just sucked so bad, the tools, the debugging, et cetera. And I was happy to find out when I turned my attention back to it that it didn't suck quite as bad. So I focus very heavily on HTML, JavaScript, a tiny bit of CSS, uh, generally web standards. And I got very much into PhoneGap and then Apache Cordova. And I was hired by IBM almost a year or so ago to rep uh, one of their products called Mobile First, which um, helps mobile, mobile devs, both native and hybrid, to build better apps. And uh, that's my primary focus. I'm also really into something called static site uh, tools as well. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, both of these guys, Ray and Simon, uh, both are into the hybrid technologies. I myself am into these technologies as well. Uh, as you know, that uh, I do a lot of Ionic work, a lot of native script work, uh, but I also do a lot of server-side technology work uh, like Node.js and Java uh, because it really uh, reflects where I work currently, uh, which is at a database company called Couchbase. Uh, but uh, beyond that, uh, we're going to go ahead and break this podcast into uh, what I'd like to call three different parts. Uh, so these parts I'd like to think are part of any development lifecycle. Um, so, for example, the first part would be how do you plan? Uh, what are your planning tools that you need? Uh, for when making an application, whether that be mobile or desktop or whatever it may be. Uh, and then what tools do you use to execute this project? Uh, so what do you develop with uh, uh, just just overall development? And then finally, how do you grow? So what tools do you use to to, say, market your application and grow the success of this application that you just built? Or how do you maintain it and uh, just upgrade it and make sure that it survives the years? Uh, so um, what I'd like to do is I'm not going to direct these questions at really any individual. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and, and ask. And then anyone who'd like to jump in and, and share their side of the story, uh, that'd be great. Uh, so the first question I want to ask is, so when you when you plan, uh, do you use any kind of tools for project management? What do you, what do you use to go ahead and plan uh, your next project? I'll, I'll jump in first because my answer is pretty short and sweet. <laughs> um, my focus for, for years and years in terms of blogging has been on examples. So, you know, how to do X in PhoneGap, how to do X in Cordova. 
Um, and even now with my current job as a dev advocate, I don't do a lot of big projects. So I haven't had like serious project management work or I haven't worked with a project manager for probably four or five years now. Um, I definitely have some history doing you know, basic web projects and stuff like that. So for me, uh, you know, planning about the farthest I will go is a Trello card saying, you know, write a blog entry about how to do X and Ionic or, or, uh, you know, so-and-so for bigger projects in terms of like bigger blog posts where I may be tackling a subject that's rather large. Um, I'll break that up into smaller blog posts or planned, uh, videos, et cetera. I'll still just use Trello, um, for, for the most part. Uh, I do a lot in Evernote as well, just for general note taking kind of help me, um, remember how to, how to use stuff. That's not very project specific. Um, but yeah, that's, so I'm, 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 I'm not a real worker, I guess, <laughs> you know, in terms of what probably most of your, uh, people on this podcast, uh, will do. Yeah, great. And then, uh, so Simon, I guess I'll go ahead and ask you as well. Uh, the question was, uh, what kind of tools do you use for planning your projects? Yeah. So do you, you, do you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Oh, perfect. So, uh, at my corporate job, we use, uh, Jira, which is a tool for creating tickets and projects and all kinds of things. So, well, our project manager manages those things. So it's a bit, well, something between the developers and the project managers. It's a bit split up. It's not only me doing this, but it's great for communication. And for private development, I use also Trello for, well, ordering my to-dos and what I want to do this week or next week or what I generally have to do. And as Ray said, I also use Evernote. And I also craft my drafts of the blog post with Evernote. So all the time on the go when I have an idea, I start using Evernote and creating the outline. And... I don't use more besides this because Evernote has all the functionalities I need in general. So you guys actually both mentioned Trello. I myself use Trello as well, and I found it a fantastic tool uh, to just manage my projects. I can create a new, um, I guess, column you can call it, and then add cards to this column to kind of designate what stage each piece of my project is in. And the cool thing about Trello is it's a, it's an entirely free application, so you don't need to pay for it. Uh, they're paid, they do have a paid version, uh, but I've not found myself needing to use that version. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting interesting thought there. So when you're when you're planning these projects, when you're making say a mobile application or uh, you're getting requirements for uh, your workplace, do you guys use any kind of survey tools or how how do you go about uh, Locking those those um, communications is that still done in Jira and Trello for you guys? So for me, I mean, again, with with me not doing real projects or you know, the closest thing I've uh, I have to a project uh, recently at work, I was asked to talk about uh, mobile first and uh, some upcoming changes. So I was given a list of you know things that they wanted covered. So. 
you know, outside of that, just managing that that list, uh, that was the end of the, the uh, communication really about it. Again, I'm probably not the norm for this. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, and we have done like workshops. So we're not only doing this online, but also in place with a lot of people and designers around. But for my blog, I also tend to just send out mails and asking my followers or the people on my list what they would like to know more about. So if you have something like this, or you could use also Twitter for this, just say you have 50 followers, maybe one of two of them are responding to your questions. So that's a start. Sure. Sounds good. All right. So hey, uh, question yeah. on, uh, have you had much luck in getting people to respond? Because I've done that as well on my blog, not so much on Twitter, but on my blog, like I'll talk about X and I'll say, hey, do you want to follow up or something related to this? And it's so hard to get people to say, yes, talk about, you know, so-and-so. Are you having much luck with that? Uh, do you mean in mail or below blog posts? A uh, blog or, or email. Uh, okay, so in general, yeah, on blog posts, I also had this problem. Uh, not much people are answering there, only if they have a problem with your code. But uh, with mails, I do actually get like two or three mails from my autoresponders every day from people all the world just saying, hey, thank you. Could you cover XYZ topic? So mm. I'm not sure why it's working for me. Do you have uh, do you have a question or autoresponder on your blog? Uh, well, I mean, I have a email sub type thing. Um, I use FeedBurner for RSS, and they have that kind of baked in. And my numbers aren't really that great. I uh, switched to blog engines about a year or so ago, and as part of that process, I actually lost my earlier list, which had like 500 plus people. So it's been slowly growing, but it's maybe a hundred people or so. And it's rare for someone to reply to one of those emails and ask me a question, like maybe twice in the last year. Might be they're scared because you you work for a big company. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, know. I, I, I was scared <laughs> before I contacted you the first time. Really? So, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> You thought I would fuss at you or what? Yeah, I don't know. Think what what is this kid asking me? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, let's move on to the next subject material here. Uh, so we, we kind of discussed a little bit on the planning, uh, which was uh, not as much important as what I, uh, the, the goal here of this. Uh, the goal here is to actual develop. Uh, so this is the how do you execute phase. Uh, so more along the lines on, what kind of tools do you guys use when you code? Do you guys use IDEs? Do you, what kind of t editors do you use? Uh, and then wh why do you use those editors? Go ahead, Simon. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, as I said, I'm doing a lot of native development for iOS. So I'm using Xcode for that because it's on a Mac and it's like... There are not much tools for developing iOS apps. I think you could use IntelliJ or something like this, but Xcode works for me fine. So, and, oh, go yeah. on. Yeah, go on. Okay, and for the JavaScript part, like as hybrid apps, I use uh, Atom 
I don't know if it's called like this, from GitHub. So this is also a free editor and you can install all kinds of themes and plugins and stuff like this. So this is really great. Maybe you can post a link to this in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, any, any uh, product that gets mentioned in this podcast, I will definitely be adding a link to it in the description of the episode. Yeah, so for coding, it's Xcode and Atom. And what I also would like to mention is Dash. I don't think it's only for Mac. I'm not sure, but this is like local documentation for many uh, programming languages. I'm not sure if you guys know about this. Oh, yeah. Love Dash. Yeah. So this is definitely worth mentioning here. Can, can you explain a little bit more on that? Because I personally have not heard of Dash. So this would be might be many others first time hearing about it as well. So for Mac, it's an app you can download. And inside this app, you can add uh, doc sets. So it's called like this. And you can just search. I'm in it currently. They have Angular, whatever, ActionScript, Android, and all those documentations for those languages. So you can just open Dash. And if you're developing JavaScript, search for some function or whatever you need. And it's a great way for looking up stuff. So you don't always need to Google things. And many times it's also... Uh, more detailed than just googling the answer for your question. So would you say that it beats going to say Stack Overflow to try to find a solution? Would, would uh, it be better? Yeah, from time to time it's better I think because on Stack Overflow we will just get your one answer copy pasted and that's it. Sure. And with Dash you also get a bit of background so if you're looking for whatever object in Swift and you find all the other properties or functions you can use. It's it's just more detailed than just covering the answer you're looking for. Awesome. Good to know. How about you, Ray? What do you use? So I was a, a big brackets user. Uh, that's an open source web-based editor from Adobe. And it started to perform badly for me, uh, specifically for Angular JS type apps. And since I do so much in Ionic, it was really kind of hurting me. And at that time, uh, my patience was perhaps a bit thin, <laughs> so I didn't want to like hack away to figure out why it was bad or modify my workflow. <clears throat> Excuse me. So instead, uh, I just kind of rage quit brackets for a while. Uh, I looked at Adam, and I was beginning to like it, uh, but right at the same time, Microsoft released Code, which is also free. Um, uh, uh, editor for doing web stuff and I freaking just loved it. So I pretty much switched all my work to code. Uh, about the only time I open up brackets now is when they have a new version, which is not very often nowadays, or when someone needs me to fix a bug in one of my extensions. So um, I'm, I'm really loving Visual Studio Code. They just added extension support, so you can add, you know, various different features to it, and it just works really, really well for me. Um, I probably did not give Adam enough time to uh, grow on me. I'm sure it's great. I've heard great things about it, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a uh, code person, Visual Studio Code, I should say. So let me drill a little deeper uh, into this Visual Studio Code, because I personally have not used it. I don't, I'm not sure about Simon either. Uh, 
but no, I'm also interested. Oh, you, you also use it. All right, so then I'm the only <laughs> no, no, one. No, no, I'm interested. Oh, all right, <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so is this? Are you running a Mac? Or are you running Windows? What kind of operating system are you running? I'm on Mac, uh, but code is supported everywhere, and I'm just really verifying. Yeah, Linux, Mac, and Windows. It runs everywhere. All right. Um, so is so is does it have the same features that say? uh the other visual studios ha- ha- have i haven't used visual studio in like a decade so i can't relate right. to that. i know it's 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 definitely very very lightweight sure like you don't have to use projects and all that you just have folders sure so is this more of uh would you say more of just a a, a fancy text editor or is it um a full blown ide that supports many types of projects out of the box so maybe you could do mobile development in it or maybe can you just elaborate a little bit more on that i mean i i can never tell like what's an ide versus what's an editor um i know it has intellisense it has extensions you could run commands from it so like for uh, cordova you can set it up so that with a keystroke it'll do a build and run to the emulator or whatever so you know, is it an IDE like Visual Studio? No, it's not like that. It's not like Eclipse. Uh, it's more like Atom, more like Brackets, uh, more powerful than Sublime, I think. So, and it's completely it free. It, what's that? And it's completely free. And it's totally free. Yep, that, which is awesome. Do they have a paid tier? Is there like certain features that you're missing out on if you decide that you uh, want to pay? Or, I mean, pay no, for no. It's it's totally free. You're welcome to pay me for it. I'll be happy to take some money. <laughs> but no, it's it's totally free. Awesome. Uh, so in terms of uh, we we just talked about a little bit on how you develop, but I know so I know for example Xcode, which Simon uses for iOS apps, allows you to do a lot of uh, UX and UI. Uh, but I for one use Atom, uh, and Ray uses Visual Studio Code. Uh, do these does say Visual Studio Code offer something that allows you to design UX, or do you use some other tool for this? And maybe maybe Simon uses other tools too beyond Xcode that that you guys would like to share about. No, Code does not have anything visually built in. Uh, like I said, they just released an extension API, so it's possible someone built an extension that does stuff like that. Uh, for the most part, since so many of my projects are you know, how to do X and Cordova or Ionic. A lot of my apps are literally like one button and you click it and it does it does X. For the more complex stuff, um, I have used Ionic Creator, which is their visual drag and drop tool. Uh, that's been around for a while and the output from it wasn't great. Uh, but they, uh, the Ionic people have done a lot of updates recently and the the code export is really, really well done. So... Uh, previously I would not have used creator a lot, maybe just when it was something really complex when I wanted to lay out like a prototype. Uh, but now, uh, I'm planning on using it a lot more. All right. And creator is strictly for Ionic apps, correct? Yeah. Yep. All right. So, um, do you guys use any other UI tools for any other, I know, um, you did a lot of cold fusion and I don't know if you were say using Dreamweaver or if you were using something else or nothing at all. Well, uh, CF was, was was totally server side, so yeah. um, it, it wasn't really apl- applicable there. Sure. And then, how about you, Simon? Uh, are you strictly using Xcode, or are you using other kind of tools to design with? 
yeah, related to the user interface, I'm not really using the Xcode functions. So uh, you could create this uh, storyboards things, but um, over the years, I developed a dislike because uh, it doesn't work more often than it does work. So if you change one or two parts of your design, the complete UI is Oh, sorry about that. Don't worry. Um, I will. Uh, I will beep that out uh, okay. when I edit this. Yeah. So even in Xcode, I tend to use uh, to create the complete UI with code. So <clears throat> sorry. This is about uh, what happens if the app rotates and how all the elements behave. And I also use uh, another tool. So for creating the general look of the app, which is Sketch. Um, I think this tool is only for Mac, but this allows you to craft uh, great user interfaces for your apps. And you can export your views and you have the complete user interface and images and resources in all the dimensions you need in like half a minute if you have created it correctly. So I can definitely recommend Sketch. This is not free, I think, but if you really want to develop great apps and take this serious, I can definitely recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, I personally uh, don't use an IDE or, I mean, any kind of tool for graphic uh, personally. But every once in a while, I do find myself coming back to Android Studio, which has its own built-in UI designer. Uh, and the, actually, I mean, I used to feel the same way about Simon, uh, how, how he mentioned that uh, if you change one thing, it kind of messes everything up. Uh, but I don't know, in the, in the later versions of Android Studio, I think a lot of this is actually uh, eliminated. Uh, but it is, it is a common concern, uh, one that I have, because I, I don't like to have mangled code uh, in the end. Uh, yeah. Go on. Yeah, so so all the time if you create this user interface in these drag and drop editors, you have some kind of magic behind this, and I don't like this magic. <laughs> I just want to know what what my code and what all the things will look like, and I don't want to rely on the Apple magic for resizing my views. Yeah, because that's not a good idea at all. Yeah, hey, that uh, it's good good uh, information that you provided though. Uh, so a little bit, little bit outside of the realm of development, but still in the realm of uh, the whole application lifecycle. Uh, what kind of tools do you use for graphic creation? I mean, a lot of tools nowadays you either have to have graphics inside of your application, or at a minimal, if you're if you're designing mobile apps, you'll have to have an application icon. Uh, what kind of tools do you use for this kind of stuff? Oh, I'm gonna totally bail on this because <laughs> you know at the most I'll. Uh open up uh you know i'll find some picture i have and like resize it so it's the right app icon size just to you know test uh setting a custom app icon but i never create custom graphics sure how about you simon uh okay so i used uh adobe photoshop for about a few years ago but i switched to a free version called Pixlr. Um, we can put a link again in the notes. Yeah. So this is like a lightweight edition of Photoshop online in the browser. You can just launch the web app and you can create your stuff there because Photoshop is very expensive, I think. And this tool allows you to do 
well, everything you need to create little graphics for your app. Just look around the internet for free resources and craft your logo or icon or whatever from these sources, I think. But I'm not doing this very often, so I'm no designer at all. Sure, yeah. And then I'm, I'm of course, not, a, not much of a designer myself. Uh, but I actually use a tool called Pixelmator. It's, uh, it's Mac only, but it also has an iOS version, which I haven't really gotten into. But when it comes to desktop, uh, Pixelmator I've found to be the best uh, graphics editor for, for my needs. And I mean, I've played around with GIMP. I've played around with uh, Photoshop. But for the price point, I mean, I think it's only like $20. But I could be wrong on that now. Uh, but uh, it's it's cheap and it it accomplishes a whole lot uh, for when when the limited times where I do need to create some kind of graphic uh, it has my back. Um, so let's let's move along. And uh, so now that we've kind of coded, we've designed our user experience, uh, and we've created our graphics for our, for any kind of our web application, desktop application, or mobile application. Uh, what kind of tools do you guys use when it comes to testing? I mean, this could be anywhere from simulators. This could be uh, continuous integration tools. This could be uh, any any kind of tools uh, that helps your your test process. Um, I use the iOS simulator a lot because it, it runs very very well. Uh, I use Jetty Motion, which is a uh, it's a free paid tool. Um, to simulate Android because it runs a heck of a lot faster than the Android simulator. Um, apparently, the Android simulator is a lot better nowadays, uh, but I still like um, the, the tool anyway, um, and I still recommend it. Uh, for testing, I've used Jasmine in the past for JavaScript testing. I've done a tiny bit of UI testing with uh, Selenium, I believe. Uh, but primarily, um, I'll just test JavaScript code with uh, Jasmine, and that, that's it for me. Yeah, for me also, the iOS simulator works great most of the time. Um, also on a device, because if you're an iOS developer, there is a difference between the simulator and the device, and I got to this point many times. So make sure always to test your code on a real iOS device as well. Um, for Android, I tried using Motion like you, but I think you can talk more about this because I just set it up and used it like once. Um, and as you mentioned also for continuous integration, um, we have set up a Jenkins server but I think this uh, is a bit beyond this this podcast. We could fill a complete episode how to configure a yeah continuous integration server. Yeah, definitely. But if you if you just starting out or so, you can use Travis CI, which is I think also on your GitHub repositories. You can add a badge, um, and this is very easy to set up for your repositories and. This is for JavaScript code or other things, and this is really easy to see if your code compiles. Just just some simple steps, and you have this up. Yeah, yeah. So um, when it comes to the iOS simulator, I mean, correct me if I'm go- uh, wrong, guys, but as of right now, you can only use that simulator if you're using a Mac. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. Yes. Yeah, but uh, so Jenny Motion and the Android simulator, so uh, they will work cross-platform. 
I personally use these. Uh, I use Jenny Motion, of course, and I use the free version, uh, but they do have a paid version. Uh, but I haven't found myself needed to use it. Um, in terms of uh, what Simon said about Travis CI, I personally use that as well uh, because I have many projects on GitHub that I uh, have created and I contribute to. And I, I include certain scripts inside of uh, Travis CI. So when Travis CI, when, when you push a commit, uh, it'll run the scripts. And it's a good way for me to weed out uh, if the person trying to contribute to my repository has bugs in their code. Uh, so that way I don't have to sift through and uh, try to figure this out on my own because you never know how, how much code they're going to be sending you. Um, they, uh, Travis CI has a free version for public repositories. Yeah. Uh, if you want to use it for private repositories, you have to pay them. Um, and that's as of right now. I mean, things could change in the future. I don't know. Uh, but as of right now, public repositories are free. But the good thing about GitHub is uh, most of your repositories are probably going to be public. Uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to add on the subject of uh, just testing your creations? No, that's fine. No, that's that's fine. No, no worries. There's not... Uh, it's not my area of specialty either. I'm more of the, the developer, of course. Um, in terms of how do you grow beyond your application? So you say you've released this web application or desktop application or game or what, whatever it may be. You've, you've created something and you've released it. Uh, what kind of tools do you guys use uh, for ensuring its success or maintaining the project or, or anything along those lines that comes after the actual development phase? Hmm. I'll start so, with I'll start with myself. If you guys, uh, yeah. yeah. So, say for example, I I have several uh, mobile applications that I have on iTunes and Google Play, um, but I I'm a nobody. So uh, having people being able to find those applications uh, is is not going to happen on its own. So what I use is I use a lot of social media tools for marketing my applications. <laughs> Uh, so I'll schedule uh, tweets to go out with uh, Twitter Tweet Deck, uh, which is a free tool by Twitter. Uh, I'll schedule it to go out on, say, LinkedIn. So just a lot of general uh, social media uh, tools. Um, for one, I, I don't know if you guys use something else or just um, maybe use your imagination on, on uh, what this question is. Yeah, so for me, I also use something for scheduling my tweets. Uh, which is Buffer. I think this is also or has a free plan, so you can schedule up to 10 posts. And these can go out to like all your social profiles, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Google, whatever. Uh, and I also like to put a link to my app on my personal blog, which is just a great way to show your apps because nobody is going to find your app, just like you said. So if you have a blog or any kind or any website, just put up a link to your app there because the chances are so much higher somebody will download your app if they can find it easily. So that's for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I have maybe like one or two apps in the market, uh, but nothing that I consider like a real product. Uh, so I consider my blog, I guess, to be my primary product. And... I use Buffer as well uh, for all my blog posts. Uh, I typically 
have it do an I uh, do a post immediately and for seven days. I did have it doing uh, one immediately, one in twenty four hours, and one in seven days. And I got some pushback from some some followers that it was a bit much. So I, I feel like you know one immediately and one seven and, and one in seven days works well. And I'll see people uh, you know retweeting the tweets that are a week late. Uh, so they're definitely seeing it uh, for the first time. So I think that's working pretty well. Um, I monitor my traffic. I. So what do, I, what do you use to monitor your traffic? Maybe let's go there. Uh, Google Analytics. I also have a couple of uh, plugins on my WordPress blog that will tell me, you know, roughly how many page views um, each post is getting. I have to click around a bit to get into it. I built my own tools actually as well. Um, I built a tool recently where uh, it will parse my RSS feed and tell me the page views on those. And I built that because I wanted a quicker way to see how my current content was going. So for example, if I, uh, if I ask uh, for my top post over the last year, it tends to be older content, not the fresher content. So uh, I had to build my own tools using uh, APIs, et cetera, to, uh, to see like, you know, over, over the last week, how my posts have been doing. Sure. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So these tools that you've, that you've made, uh, are they just your internal personal or have you released these to the public to uh, share the wealth here? <laughs> I've definitely shared them. Uh, so they make use of the Google Analytics API. So I blogged about it and explained how I used it and, and, and what I built. I built a couple different things, like my own little uh, dashboard with, with charting and stuff like that. So I can see, you know, on my sites, here's how they're doing. And also the RSS one as well. And for all those, I did a blog post talking about how I built them. Awesome. Uh, so I know we kind of brushed upon this at the beginning of this episode um, in regards to email lists and, and Twitter. Uh, but this question's still uh, relevant. So w- let's go into deeper depth on how everyone responds to feedback about their products, whether that be, of course, apps or websites or et cetera. Uh, so for me, it's uh, like the blog comments I get and the mails I get. And for the blog comments, I just tend to answer, well, whenever I find time, but I try to make this once a week so I can just go through all new comments and work on them. And also for all the support mails or questions I get, <clears throat> sorry, um, I try to answer immediately if this is a very short question or something I can answer directly. And if I see this is a, a, like how my code is not working, these and that problems and stuff like this, I move those things to a to-do folder and try to work it up uh, or work on them just like on the comments once a week. So, so do you use as, any tools? Uh, no, not really. I just have, a, as I said, a to-do folder in my mailing app and on the blog also no real tools. Just, yeah, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that works. How about you, Ray? Uh, I, you know, I, I tend to think that my comments are a bit low on my blog, so I tend to try to respond like super quickly, just to you know try to engage the person while they're still around. 
Um, not only that, like if somebody posts something that may not need a response, I'll even post something like thank you or thanks for sharing or whatever, and which is a throwaway comment, I guess, but it just kind of keeps uh, keeps the conversation alive, which sounds dorky, but um, that's what I try to do. Uh, I don't really have any monitoring. Like all my comments come in via emails. Uh, so it's in my email inbox. Um, if I can't respond immediately, then it's just there. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I do. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. then just, just one, one more word. So, uh, as Ray said, uh, it's really better to answer them immediately. I just shared what I'm doing, but this is by no means the best practice. So if you have the chance, try to always answer immediately your mails or so. It's for me just hard because I work a full-time job with eight hours a day and two hours commute. So if you're like me and have no time, this is the only way I can handle all these things. But if you got time, just please do it like Ray. Sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, in terms of what I use, so um, I've recently started using MailChimp. Uh, to not only send emails, but also uh, attract responses to emails. And um, I know we had this discussion earlier, but people, I find that people actually do respond to my emails if I make them uh, on a per more personal level uh, versus some kind of advertisement. Uh, because I, I truly am interested in hearing what people say. Uh, so if I make it personal, I find that I get a response. Um, but I also do uh, respond to feedback. Of course, uh, I relate more from an from a mobile app perspective. So uh, when people leave me a review on uh, Google Play or the Amazon App Store, uh, both of these outlets allow me to respond to feedback. So like add a follow-up comment uh, to say a mobile app rating. So I'll often do that. iTunes, uh, I don't believe uh, lets you do that. Uh, but it'd be nice if they did. Uh, so that way you can uh, defend yourself if, if you get a bad review or if somebody has a question because they won't always go out and email you or find you on social media or, or whatever the case be. Um, so that, that's, that's really my realm of, of feedback answering. I kind of, let's see about uh, just, I think, one more question here. Uh, I know, so for example, I know you guys both do the hybrid apps. So for Ionic. Ionic uh, version 1 used AngularJS 1, and Ionic 2 uses AngularJS version 2, which are very different programming languages. And uh, when I ask this question, don't think of it strictly in terms of Ionic, but just in development languages in general. How do you guys uh, go ahead and make this upgrade process happen between two languages? Um, do you guys stick with uh, the first version of the language, do you use some kind of tool that helps in the migration process to the newer language? Um, let's, let's go off of that. Uh, well, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm not as concerned about upgrading current apps because, again, like most of my apps are just demo uh, type things. So my concern is just being knowledgeable. You know, um, if the future of Ionic is Angular 2, if the future of Angular is Angular 2 and not 1, then what do I do to, you know, make sure I, I know it and I can speak on it and be somewhat intelligent on it? So I had um, avoided Angular 2 because it seemed like it was changing quite rapidly. And 
every few months I'd ask, you know, someone, Hey, it's a time. And they would say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But I would still see things changing. So I literally did not spend time with Angular 2 until about 48 hours or so ago. Uh, and I was happy to see that the, uh, the quick start doc and the tutorial doc uh, uh, feels a lot firmer than it was when I first looked at it. And it made, I won't say complete sense, um, but I was able to successfully go through it and you know, write some code and while I'm probably a far, far uh, way away from being um, an, an expert at it, um, I am at least prepared to begin uh, using it or at least blogging about it uh, sometime this month. So uh, for me, it was you know, mainly waiting for the, uh, the, uh, the, the large tectonic changes to kind of settle down a bit. Um, and it's just going to be a process, you know, build one sample app, build another, build another, and, uh, become competent at it. Hopefully. How about, how about you, yeah. Simon? Um, so for me, it's also like Ray said, I haven't touched Angular 2, like, um, I'll just, in I've just installed it. Um, in general, um, I had this problem already once. So when iOS, uh, changed the language from Objective-C to Swift. So this was also like a complete change in the system. And for me, what I did, I just tried to compare these two things, um, was to leave the old apps on Objective-C because you know that code, you can maintain it. And if you don't have really time to, to change all the code you've already written to a new version, just leave it like it is. And that's what I also will do with Angular. So the Angular 1 code and Ionic 1 will still exist also on my blog or in the apps. But once Angular 2 is really stable, I'm not sure, is it already stable? Uh, no, it's not. Beta. Yeah, it's in beta. Yeah, so for me, I might get my hands on it, but I won't use Angular 2 in production until I think somewhere in this year once it's stable because this is really no good idea. I made this using React Native and they changed everything like every two weeks and you can't use this in a real productive app you're developing. So if you're doing some corporate work, you need stable versions of the code and I think Ray can understand this, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you, Simon, and it's all right if uh, maybe it doesn't exist. But you said uh, you had this difficulty when Apple released Swift and you knew Objective-C. Did Apple release any kind of tools uh, for migrating from Objective-C to Swift? Or was it just you learned that new language and you convert it yourself? Uh, yeah, it was me learning the new language. I don't know if there were tools. Um, not official tools, I think. There have been some compilers or whatever to change your Objective-C code to Swift, but most of the time there still have been problems. So as I said, I just left it like it was because you can use uh, Objective-C and Swift code in one project, which is a big advantage, I think. Awesome. Uh, so is there any other kind of final words of wisdom that you guys want to mention in terms of tools uh, that make your development lives easier every day? You know, I, I would just remind people that, uh, 
even though a new tool is released pretty much every other day, uh, you know, don't forget you don't have to use all of them and you probably shouldn't be using every tool out there. Um, I try to keep up to date with what's being released in terms of just a bare minimum. So, you know, a new library is released that deals with Cowbell, for example. I don't spend time learning it. I don't research it. I just file away mentally that there's something that works with X. So uh, when the time comes later on where I really need to do X, I will hopefully remember that a tool out there exists. And at that point, I go into it. So I just you know try to tell people to don't worry about knowing everything, uh, but just focus on what you really need and what practically helps you now. Awesome. Yeah, I would also say don't hop onto every tool or language out there. Just focus on a few uh, good tools and they can do 90% of your work and you don't have to know everything and every language. Sounds great. Then I want to thank uh, you, Raymond and Simon, uh, for taking the time out of your busy days to uh, jump on this podcast with me. Um, and I wish you both success in your development journeys. And thank Thanks. you for having me. <laughs> hey, I hope you enjoyed everything that Ray, Simon, and myself talked about on this particular podcast episode, being uh, some developer tools that can make you more productive towards your ne next application release, whether that be mobile application, web application, or just any other kind of software application in general. Uh, I'm sure you might have plenty of questions that you want answered. Uh, if you do, please go ahead and go to blog.nraboy.com slash podcast hyphen questions. And I'm going to go ahead and include that link in the description of this episode. But if you have questions regarding this episode, please go ahead and ask them and I will respond to them uh, in the next episode. Uh, and if you have a question uh, for a particular speaker on this episode, uh, just let me know, and I will ask that particular speaker and get an answer from them. I also ask that if you downloaded this episode off of iTunes, that you log in and leave me a five-star rating or review. Uh, maybe just say something nice about the podcast itself. Uh, it would really help me out, and it would help out anyone looking to learn about what it takes to be a developer. Um, and a lot of tools or, or anything that I have in future episodes, it'll be very helpful for anyone uh, trying to learn. And that concludes episode number three.